0: Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio, as always, is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Sapiniak. Hey, Kit.
1: Hey, thanks for tuning in once again this week, everyone. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can catch us every week right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. And remember, if you ever miss an episode, make sure to check us out online. Go to mncatholic.org forward slash podcast. And then make sure to subscribe so that you never miss any of our future conversations.
0: In today's episode, we've got a great conversation with Peter Momsen from the Plough Quarterly Journal talking about the cross-pollination between his community, the Bruderhof, and the Catholic community. In our mailbag segment, we answer a question about a ruling in a Texas federal court and what it means for DACA recipients here in Minnesota and across the country. And of course, we want to leave you with some practical tips on how you can start to put your faith into action. In our Bricklayer segment, we talk about what you can do to help strengthen immigrant families.
1: And listeners, if you ever have an idea for that bricklayer segment, send me your ideas. Or maybe if you have a question about faith and politics, you could send that my way as well. Either way, just send me an email. That email address is show at mncatholic.org. Or you can catch us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the Minnesota Catholic Conference.
0: We're now blessed to be joined on the line by Peter Momsen. Peter is a member of the Bruderhof, an intentional community movement based on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's editor of Plow Quarterly Magazine and author of Homage to a Broken Man, the Life of J. Heinrich Arnold. He lives in upstate New York with his wife Wilma and their three children. Peter Momsen, great to speak with you today. Welcome to the program.
2: It's really good to be on with you, Jason and Kit.
0: Thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about the Bruderhof. There's been a lot of great engagement between the Catholic community and the Bruderhof, but what is the Bruderhof? Tell us more about it.
2: Well, we're an Anabaptist community, so we're not Catholic. We've been around for about 100 years. There's two ways people describe the Bruderhof. Some people call it monastery with families. Others people call it kibbutz with religion. But we live together. We're inspired by the example of the early church, as described in the Book of Acts, where they shared all things in common. So we do that. We share our income. We actually have vows of membership, much like a religious order uh, that people take as an adult. But we do that with kids. There's about 26 to 28 communities around the world, most here in the United States, but also South America, Korea, Germany, Austria, England. So that's uh, us in a nutshell.
0: And there's a Bruderhof community in Minneapolis, as I understand it as well. That's
2: right. Yes, there is. The Crossroads Community House. So we have quite a few... Some communities are are like mine, about three hundred people, kind of like a, a self sustaining village, and others, like the one in Minneapolis, are, are a kind of house in a city with a few households living together.
0: In the Catholic community, we talk about charisms. Uh, you know, we have all kinds of different movements and religious orders and different things like that, each with uh, some sort of charism or gift of the Holy Spirit that it brings to both the church and the broader world. What would you say that? How could you describe the charism of the Bruderhof? How are you living, and what's your witness, the gospel witness to the world? You said the Sermon on the Mount, but develop that a little bit more for us.
2: We believe that our, our calling in, in church community and living together and sharing everything and sharing our lives together, that there is a place on earth where people can see what it looks like to live, as Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount, where there's absolute forgiveness, where there's complete nonviolence, the com- complete social justice, where marriage and family is supported where there's outreach to those who are marginalized. People do that in different forms in many ways of life, but we feel our particular calling is to really take those really strong commands in the Catholic tradition, uh, not ours, called the Councils of Perfection, and, and live them out you know, quite literally as a sign to the world of what Jesus is and what he wants for human beings.
0: So it really is like Acts of the Apostles. That's the really moving spirit
2: of the community in many ways. Exactly, exactly. And not that you can copy the early Church or or the Mm -hmm. Book of Acts, that's not the point, but we believe that wherever that same Holy Spirit that visited the Church at Pentecost is at work, you know, throughout Church history, um, the same fruits show, although in different flavors and, and expressions.
0: Now, we've had Rod Dreher on the podcast, and I believe he's written for Plow as well. What, to the extent that he writes about the Benedict Option and forming intentional communities in a sort of broader, hostile, ambient culture, would you say that the Bruderhof is very much in that sort of Benedict Option spirit?
2: We've been called that. I have my reservations about it. Rod's a friend, and he's definitely contributed to Plow, and I think a lot of what he describes in his book is is actually true. Um, I think it's also been misrepresented. So... I never know whether I'm arguing with the Benedict option or what what people uh, think the Benedict option is and I think those things get confused sometimes. Um my major issue with being described as a Benedict op- option community though is that in the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount, we, you know, we believe church community is to, meant to be the light on the the hill, the salt in the world and sort of the at least the mood of the benedict option can be one of apocalypticism and retreat the world is falling around and let's you know save ourselves in a spiritual ark of noah that i think is certainly not our approach or the reason we live together
1: mm-hmm
0: it's like the early church in the sense that didn't, you know, they had to live right within the pagan Roman world around them. And it was by living in sort of in the fire, so to speak, that they were able to convert large parts of the Roman Empire.
2: Right. And of course, they were kind of apocalyptic, too, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you read the early Christian writings, there's a kind of joy and, a you know, a zest for life. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think can be missing if too dour and defensive a spirit enters into the way we live out our faith.
0: Peter, how did you become involved
2: with the Bruderhof? Well, you know, I actually, I grew up in the Bruderhof, and through high school, uh, lived in the community, though I was not a member, as I said, uh, one only becomes a member, actually, after age 21, going through a novitiate in in a way that will be familiar to many Catholics, you know, Mm -hmm. religious orders. Um, as she left the community then, I went to college, was spent some time in Central America, and at one point I, I had a, you know, a, a conversion, came to faith really for the first time, and felt I needed to be baptized and returned to the community, and, and then joined. So I've been a member since 1998.
0: Tell us a little bit about why the community publishes uh, Plow, which is a very, very fine journal. What's the, what's the why behind the journal and what does it do for your community and, and what you hope what is your hope for its uh, wider audience who reads it?
2: Well one, one, one thing about being a small community like ours is that we know that we're not the church, uh, that we're just a tiny part of you know Christ's universal church on earth. And it's really important to us and always has been, to have institutional ways in our community that express that, and publishing is one. In fact, our publishing house was founded before the community was founded, and the community grew out of the publishing house back 101 years ago in Germany in 1920, right after World War I in the midst of revolution, uh, where people were looking for an alternative to both nationalism on the one hand and communism on the other, and turned to the Sermon on the Mount and tried to live it out. And so that was really been the role of the publishing house over the last 101 years of bird of history is i I kind of describe it as a lung for the community where we breathe in and breathe in this where the spirit is at work elsewhere in the world and and then breathe out in, in, in terms of expressing what is of importance what how does our own experience here within community um how that might that help or encourage others
0: wow that's a beautiful image of breathing in and breathing out In the Catholic world, Pope John Paul said that the Christian West and the Christian East were like the church and it needed to breathe with both lungs to be fully itself, to be fully the body. So I really like that idea of breathing in what you can that you find good and true and then breathing out what your unique community and charism speaks to the world. So thanks for that image. I think that's really beautiful. And certainly I've profited from reading Plough Journal. So thanks for that. What role, in your view, Peter, and perhaps the Bruderhof more generally, what role does nurturing the life of the mind play in the life of Christian disciples? I would I would characterize a lot of what we see in Plow as certainly very accessible, but also a little bit heady and, and deeply reflective, too. So what do you think uh, the role of the life of the mind is in nurturing the mind in Christian discipleship?
2: It's just interesting that Christianity, of course, rose from a people of the book, right? And so if we are true to... On the one hand, yes, the first disciples were fishermen, as sometimes said, simple fishermen, and yet there were fishermen who knew Scripture and, and their Jewish tradition, you know, with great intimacy, and obviously spent a lot of time immersing themselves with it. And you see that with the early church, too, where I believe that the early church father, Tertullian, advised that one spend at least an hour a day in Scripture, um, which I'm afraid I don't do with three kids at home. But um, that is... The case too, in community, that you know, as Christians, we are called to make use of all our talents, and, and of course, God gave us not only the ability to use our minds but also gave us the great intellectual and cultural traditions of Christianity that we actually have an obligation to engage with and so I think that's that 's been part of community life we 're not an intellectual or academic community; we have people from all backgrounds from you know, plumbers to electricians to carpenters to people who work in publishing to doctors and lawyers. But I think what draws us together is whatever formal education that we have an interest in where God has been at work in history and in human culture.
0: Some Catholics sometimes are turned off by ecumenical engagement because it seems as though often we're the ones having to water down our teachings and our faith to accommodate others in those conversations. But my experience with Plough is that the Bruderhof doesn't seem interested in mere Catholicism, but what might be called more Catholicism. You've been publishing... Pater Edmund Waldstein, Leah Labresco, Ross Douthat, uh, some folks we've had on our podcast. Cardinal Timothy Dolan is a visitor often to the Bruderhof community. Talk about the community and the journal's ecumenical engagement with the Catholic faith and intellectual tradition. You talked about that lung analogy, which I think is really great. But how has the particular witness and writing of Catholic thinkers and saints that you've put in the journal, how have they informed the life of the Bruderhof?
2: We actually have two Catholic editors, Leo Labresco and Brandon McGinley, who may be familiar to some of your Mm -hmm. listeners.
0: He's been on the podcast, actually. Both of them have, yeah.
2: That's great. But, you know, to the fundamental question of does, you know, ecumenism water down the distinctives of the Catholic faith or our faith as Anabaptists, I mean, there certainly is that danger, I always go back to a conversation that our pastoral leadership had was then-Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger back in 1995, where they read together the stories of some of the early Anabaptist martyrs, who many of whom died at the hands of Catholic rulers in accord with the Catholic worldview at the time in the 1500s. And they read together those stories, uh, which in the end the confessional aspects of it drop away and, and become the stories of people willing to die for their faith in Jesus. And the future pope was was deeply moved, and then he said, and I'm paraphrasing him. Of course, he, he spoke much more precisely and eloquently than I will right now. But he encouraged our community not to try to become Catholic, and, and certainly um, made clear that you know Catholics weren't about to become Anabaptist. But the more fully and deeply each of us immerse ourselves in the life of Jesus, the closer we will get to the unity of which Christ spoke, you know, in, in John 17. And that unity does not come from diplomatic maneuvers, from negotiated language that both parties can sign on to. Unity comes, ultimately, for Christians only, comes from our unity in, in Christ Himself. And I think that is the sense in which we try to approach our work in Plough, not watering down things. Often, a particular tradition may be one-sided, or there's aspects of it that we're not going to run in our magazine. Uh, we are committed to nonviolence. We're not going to run a sort of just war theory in our magazine? Well, okay, we actually sometimes do, but that's another question. But there needs to be aspects of it that really spring from a joint commitment to follow Jesus, even if that's expressed in different ways, or even if there's some pretty deep doctrinal disagreements. We don't feel those ultimately stand in the way, if we do it in the sense that then Cardinal Ratzinger spoke of.
0: Peter, how can Catholics, uh, from your vantage point, better share the gift of their social teaching, which I think is a place of common ground? And their spiritual life, there's obviously overlap between uh, certainly some of our monastic traditions and life of some of our intentional communities with the work of the Bruderhof. How, how can we best do a good job of sharing our gifts and particular charisms with others, not in a kind of a of return, but in a way of mutual enrichment, that lung analogy that you provided? What's the best way for us to do that? And and maybe yeah, I, on the I flip... I suspect it's happening already. The thing mm-hmm.
2: is that... Uh, to a large degree, Catholic social teaching is the only robust social teaching on, mm-hmm. on offer. Um, and it's something that you'll see a lot of in in the pages of Plow, um, basically because we don't have a lot to add. It's a wonderful thing. I also see that happening with many evangelicals and mainline Protestants that we're in touch with, especially the younger ones who are trying to make sense of how a post-Christendom world might work your magisterial reformers, of course, kind of assumed a, a unity of church and state that's still kind of been viable and up till about 30 years ago and now really isn't anymore. And, and so then you have to turn to, to deeper sources. I would just say, for Catholics, keep on enthusiastically uh, applying it and living it out. And um, it is absolutely uh, being appreciated by those of us who aren't Catholic.
0: You have a division called Plow Books as well, and you do some book publishing, and two of the Catholic authors that you've prioritized are Dorothy Day and Oscar Romero. These are sort of polarizing figures even within the Catholic community, and they're often misunderstood and underappreciated. But why have you worked um, intentionally to publish uh, the writings of Dorothy Day and folks in the Catholic worker movement, but also Oscar Romero?
2: It does tie together where we began our conversation with the Sermon on the Mount, because both of them were uncompromising in living out Jesus' teachings, certainly on nonviolence and also on community and and social justice. Dorothy Day was actually a friend of our community, visited our communities here in uh, New York back in the 50s and 60s, stayed in touch through her death, so she's also kind of a personal friend of the older generation in our community and just can't emphasize enough our thankfulness for her witness and uh, integrity in her life of, of holiness. Oscar Romero, likewise, we had many contacts with base communities, which I realize are a controverted topic within Catholic circles, but for us was another example of people trying to live out their faith and kind of create a social fact where people could see the faith not as an idea, but as a lived tangible reality, and of Oscar Romero's identification with them. And his stand for the way of the crucified Christ is something that I think can speak and should speak to every Christian.
0: Looking at the Plough Journal, it often is the case that they have a particular theme. Um, There's ecology or the marketplace or education, how do you come up with those themes uh, in for your journal, and what are some of the ones that you might be looking at for future journals?
2: So we usually ask ourselves, what's the issue that only Plow would publish? Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't always hit that, but that's what we're aiming for. So on our current one, uh, Creatures, the Nature issue, we try to reframe the ecological argument, and this is actually um, – based a little on both on Pope Francis's Laudato Si' encyclical and on Pope Benedict's address to the German Bundestag, where he called for affirmed e- ecology, but also called for an ecology of man. And so we thought, what, wouldn't it be interesting to put together an issue that kind of draws on that, that affirms both environmentalism and ecology and the ecology of man, but does so not from a purely Catholic perspective, because that you know certainly has been done, but from one that draws on across the Christian traditions and Judaism. So that that was that issue. Um, Upcoming, we have an issue actually on Beyond Borders, so it's going to be about identity and borders and the role of the nation-state, one on disability. So sort of a consistent ethic of life is a really important part of our reason for publishing, Mm -hmm. and we'll be doing that uh, for the fall. And then after that, we're looking at one on music, which is just going to be really fun.
0: Well, already we're seeing a lot of that cross-pollination there in terms of the themes and the frames of reference. So I think it's exciting and and important for our listeners to hear the way in which uh, things like Laudato Si' Pope Benedict's call for Human ecology, not just respect for the natural ecology, but also that terminology and framework of a consistent ethic of life has resonance even beyond the Catholic community and can be a point of evangelization and engagement of the wider secular culture. So that's really a great witness. Thanks for sharing that. When you look at going to that idea of technology, human ecology, the natural ecology... You know, what does the Bruderhof see as kind of the, the really the challenge of modernity or the way in which uh, your community can speak more deeply to the most troubling existential questions of our time? What issues are you really seeing and focusing on and r- in terms of just reaching people and trying to live the gospel and bring the gospel to them?
2: I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that every age has certain peculiar temptations, so there might be an age where nationalism is a big temptation or militarism, and there might be an age where libido and, and, and license is a, a major temptation. It's it's a really good question. I think I do actually sympathize with some of Rod analysis in his book. I think that a particular temptation of our time is being out of touch with ourselves, with who human beings are and what it means to be a good father, a good mother, a good husband, a good wife, a good child. And the ways that those actually interact with questions of social justice, of education, of cultural production, of you know all the different pieces of life. And so I think that is one. And the, the questions of life, right? What Pope Francis refers to as a throwaway culture. So what connects issues like abortion, the death penalty, the way we treat immigrants and refugees, the way we treat those in prison? What about our criminal justice system? What about the way we do? maintain law and order how are those all fit together and how do those tie together with the economic systems that underpin our society and so i think those are the issues that i feel were christians and uh plow in particular feel we we have some we have an agenda
0: outstanding just one more question Peter that speaks to the you know the intentionality of the way the bruderhof lives a sort of family of families in each community uh, I think Catholic, many Catholics are you know finding themselves uh, rootless in the sense like most others that you know the social institutions that defined and gave shape, to our lives, you know, whether those were the voluntary associations, our local communities, our families, a lot of those have been broken down by the, the liquidity of modernity, as Rusty Reno calls it. And I think that we're looking for ways in which we can reconstitute that sort of uh, it takes a village mentality in, in a way of, to put it crudely. But homeschool co-ops and things like that. What has been the success of, you know, tell us about how you've made that work where you help families live together and provide that network, that support that's so needed in kind of that hostile ambient culture. What's the secret sauce of the Bruderhof?
2: Yeah, well, the secret sauce such as it is, there's a few kind of old mottos that the older generation you know, brings to new members or those who grew up there, and, and one is, you know, you know, less talk, more work. Um, but every time there's human community, and, I, and I've seen many attempts at intentional communities. There was a new monastic movement. Um, I, I realize there's all kinds of cooperatives and stuff spring up everywhere. You know, we have to deal with The realities, the obstacles of living in human community, and those are not very glamorous. They take a lot of work, and and the key is forgiveness. Uh, The key is speaking straight to one another and keeping open relationships. And and I think that is, we actually have something called our first law, and it's essentially that we'll never gossip um, against each other. We will speak straight to each other, and that we do have a commitment quite practically to make peace with each other before the sun goes down. And I think so many noble-minded efforts along these lines really fall apart on just very simple, often small matters of unforgiveness and grudges, and that's what we try to deal with in community, and that's actually a big part of kind of what it means to live love in love and unity together.
0: Pope John Paul II called us to build a civilization of love, and if we're not starting with that in our homes, in our families, in our parishes, uh, in our extended families, in our neighborhoods, uh, with things like forgiveness, <laughs> that glue that repairs social relationships, then it's going to be harder to create just structures in the broader society. And in Mother Teresa spoke
2: very eloquently yeah. about that, too, and, and it can be frustrating, right? Because you think that you should be talking about big ideas, um, and making big changes, but it really is the people right around you. Um, it sounds so predictable, but and yet it's true. You know, that's, that's to whom the Sermon on the Mount needs to be directed.
0: You can't love humanity if you can't love your neighbor next door or your uh, brother or sister. So what a wonderful conversation, Peter. You've really blessed us uh, with some really grist uh, for our mill and some things to think about. I can't recommend highly enough Plough Journal. What a wonderful publication. Peter, where can folks go to learn more about the Bruderhof, but also uh, Plough Journal?
2: So the Bruderhof, we have a website, uh, Bruderhof.com, or you can just go on YouTube. There's a bunch of Bruderhof people who run YouTube channels, and just type in Bruderhof, B-R-U-D-E-R-H-O-F. Plough, uh, we spell it the British way because we originally started our publishing house in England. It's P-L-O-U-G-H dot com. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't urge anyone who's interested to at least consider subscribing.
0: Wonderful. These uh, these things go because people actually give them money. So subscribing uh, is a good effort to keep uh, good writing and the good perspectives that we read and plow going. Peter Momsen, thanks so much for joining us on the Bridge
2: Builder today. It was great to have this conversation.
0: Likewise, and we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Atkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into the mailbag to hear what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what's in this week's mailbag?
1: Yes, so as our listeners maybe remember, on July 16th, there was a U.S. district court that decided for the Southern District of Texas, they ruled that the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, that the program is unlawful. And for our dedicated listeners out there, you may recall that we spoke with a Minnesota mom who is a DACA recipient. And for a period of time, she lost her DACA or was not able to renew it under the Trump administration. And there were many impacts, including that she couldn't drive legally in Minnesota. And so we've got people who are wondering, could this new ruling have similar impacts And then what is the solution here? Is it something Congress or state governments need to do? What can be done?
0: So first of all, just as a reminder, DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, is a uh, executive at or uh, administration policy that uh, deprioritizes um, children who came to the United, uh, people who came to the United States as children, as undocumented immigrants, and it sort of pre- basically deprioritizes them as immigration enforcement priorities, and then gives them a certain pr- temporary protection from deportation and grants them work authorization as well, recognizing that they did come here as children, and some of for some of them, this is the only country They've ever known. It's not a pathway to citizenship. So there are, you know, many, many uh, folks. uh, There's allegedly about three million folks who who are called Dreamers, folks who came here as children. Uh, Only a small portion of those, uh, approximately six hundred and fifty thousand, are active DACA recipients in the United States. Although there are about three point six million, what we call Dreamers in total. What the district court did in in Texas was rule on a lawsuit brought by Texas and some other states complaining about the illegality of DACA precisely because, from their perspective, it induces minors to cross the border and come to this country. And then that's something that those states have to deal with, both from a resource management standpoint, a welfare standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. And so... They're challenging the policy, the federal policy. The district court said it is unlawful, but it the ruling applies to future grants of DACA status. So if you haven't already been given DACA status, then that's it's going to bar you from that if that ruling is not appealed. What it does speak to, as the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has said, is that there's a legislative fix, that we need to create an opportunity for a pathway to citizenship for those young people who did come here as children and uh, give them uh, an opportunity to come out of the shadows, uh, to provide clarity and long-term stability to their status. As Pope Francis said, immigrants, if they are helped to integrate, are a blessing— a source of enrichment, and a new gift that encourages a society to grow. Uh, Really important for those families uh, to keep families together, to not separate children from their parents. Um, There's often uh, the case that some of these uh, DREAMers also have parents who are still uh, in the United States as well. We don't want to separate families. We want to keep families together. And providing long-term legislative protection for uh, DREAMers and DACA recipients is a key priority, especially with these court rulings. Uh, striking down the program prospectively. So that's kind of the the crux of the issue, Kitten. And again, it's important that we have comprehensive immigration reform, but at least let's start with the uh, DREAMers and DACA recipients.
1: Thanks, Jason. And what do you have in this week's Bricklayer segment? It sounds like we have something that would relate to that, how people could start living out their faith in the public arena.
0: You can call your members of Congress and urge them to work across the aisle to create comprehensive immigration reform, urge them to keep families at the center of their decision-making so that parents and children are not separated. You can find the phone numbers to your members of Congress in our Action Center by clicking on the Directory tab. Then enter your address, and you'll be able to be paired with your member, of Congress and your two senators. Go to mncatholic.org slash action center and click on directory. Again, that's mncatholic.org slash action center and click on directory. That's all the time we have for today. For everyone listening on your podcast app, make sure to follow or subscribe so that you always know when a new episode comes up. Then leave us a five-star rating and click share so that more Catholics can begin to build a bridge between faith and public life. Remember to catch up on our past episodes at our website, mncatholic.org slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and politics. I'm Jason Adkins, and for at the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening, and have a very blessed day.